Good morning, everybody. How are we today? All right. So I got a very shallow, quiet hello back. And maybe it's because you guys are sitting on pins and needles right now because you now realize what you have walked into. Uh, well, let me just say welcome. My name's Jeff, and I'm one of our pastors on our team. And uh, there probably isn't a more uh, politically incorrect word in our society more than this word right here called politics. Politics, right? I, I can imagine right now as soon as I say that, you were thinking about the last conversation you had with your brother or your cousin or your aunt or your friend or your neighbor and how you have come to the understanding that this word is almost utter destruction these days, right? I mean, people are running around with their hair on fire based on party and politics. And so what I want to do this morning is I want, I want to uncover what we've been talking about in the last few weeks called the elephant in the room, and we want to talk about what does God have to say about this, this subject called politics. Why? Because for a lot of us, uh, it has caused a lot of confusion. It's caused a lot of pain. It's caused, like, nations to be divided, right? I mean, we've got hysteria going on because of what is going on in American government today. Am I right? So what I want to do today is you can sit on a couple pins and a couple needles, right? But our goal today is to get to some higher levels of clarity understanding and challenge. So what I want to do today is I want to show you that uh, in the Bible, like literally in the Bible, people talked about politics. In fact, to kick things off, let me just kind of back up in time and in history and it it, it show us that there were basically three original historic views of faith and politics. If you've ever studied faith and politics, I mean, this goes way back to where Originally, there was three ideas. One was that there was total separation of faith and politics. All right, that was that was the church's one of the church's earliest views. You had groups like the Amish, the Mennonites, the Anabaptists, which was a precursor to the Baptist movement, uh, that were under the assumption that our role in government is completely, completely, and utterly like separated. Like we don't think about it, we don't talk about it, we don't we don't have any engagement in military, we have no engagement in government, and that was their understanding and that was their philosophy to life when it comes to God and this idea of government. They were completely separated. The church also had another familiar historical view, which was church over state. Like the church was traditionally thought that we as the church should be over and in charge of the state. And so what you would see in Europe of yesteryear was the church was in charge and like kind of dominated and because they wanted to be in charge, they, you know, kind of forcibly wanted to take and capture people's thoughts and minds. And that's where we got in Europe, the Holy World Wars, the Crusades. And we were left with a lot of destruction, a lot of difficulty, a lot of pain. And in fact, we, we've got friends who 
uh, work in churches and serve in churches and start up churches in Europe, and they say that that is still like a major, major cause of dissension because that was the church's view of how it ought to play a role in government back then. Uh, another role of church and faith and politics was the idea that the government was, or the church was just the government's chaplain. That all the church should ever do was just pray for. Like, not really have a voice, not really engage, but just kind of just outside of government, military, anything related to, you know, government. The church would just kind of like nicely, quietly pray for government. This was the position of the church during the Nazi rise, during the rise of fascism, when 10 million Jews plus were murdered. So people in the Bible, they were political. I don't know if you guys realize this, but people in the Bible, they were literally very political and have had roles in the Bible. Guys like uh, examples in Genesis like Joseph and, and, and people like Joseph who had a pos- actual position in government. Joseph had a, a, like a major role speaking into government in, in the Old Testament. Guys like Daniel in the Bible. You remember Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel uh, became a guy that was very notably respected and had influence and influenced government. Uh, John the Baptist. John the Baptist spoke uh, very strongly into uh, the, the, the idea of sexuality as it pertained to the king during that time that he was on the earth. And, and, and Jesus, I mean, Jesus was very involved in politics, so much so that he was oftentimes, he found himself in situations where people were trying to trap him about his political views. They were trying to oftentimes get him to say things and do things so different parties, different groups could claim his popularity as a part of their group. There was a particular time where Jesus was talking about the Roman tax policy and was speaking directly to Rome's power and the idea of taxation and what people should do and not do, which gives us a whole lot of clarity into the subject. So I'm going to dive into Mark, the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, the second book in the New Testament, and look at what Jesus said about this idea of, of politics, right? What does God feel about politics? How does he view how our role ought to be uh, in this idea of our world and faith as it relates to politics. So in Mark chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 13. Jesus is diving head into a conversation that, that comes his way. And it says, later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians. Now these are two uh, very unique groups as they both played roles in the government. The Pharisees were kind of like the small government people. Really, they kind of like wanted to stay out of government, but they had a role in it, but they were not really for big government. And the Herodians were the people, they were kind of involved. They, they wanted to play a role. They saw themselves as, as unique to uh, adding value to and speaking into and playing roles in government. So you had two different types of views of people who were uh, both Jews, both Jewish groups of people, and how they looked at their role in the Roman government. So Jesus encounters both these Pharisees and the Herodians, um, and to Jesus, they were trying to catch him in his words. Now, Jesus was a very, very public figure already at this time, and he was 
He was speaking. He was communicating. He was guiding people. He was pointing them to uh, greater causes. And both these groups were like, hey, wait, this guy is shaking some stuff up. And so they wanted to kind of get him to align with their thinking. Both groups were trying to, th- trying to find a way that they could trip him up and get him to lean towards whatever they were wanting out of Jesus. And so in verse 14, they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity, right? I mean, everybody kind of was already understanding Jesus and his influence, Jesus and his character, Jesus and his integrity. And they came to him and they started kind of uh, like maybe massaging this a little bit, like, hey, let's, let's butter him up a little bit, right? Let's get him, maybe let's uh, diffuse him a little bit to, to trick him to get him to help us to win what we want to win here. Um, so, Jesus, you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance to the truth. Now, they're buttering Jesus up here, right? This is like a total setup, right? They're smart. They got an agenda, and they're working this agenda trying to get Jesus to do what they want him to do and say what they want him to say. And so they, they ask him this question. They ask is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Right? Is it right to, to pay taxes or not? Right? Sounds like a simple question. This is early days. This is early days of how faith and government collide. And they're trying to ask Jesus a hugely important question. People are listening. I mean, they've got several different ideal, ideas out there. And they're asking them, this crazy important question, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew the hypocrisy. And he asked them this question, why are you trying to trap me? Jesus knew what was going on. All right? He knew before they showed up what was going on. So Jesus was prepared. He was ready. He models something as he asked this question. He says, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him a coin. That's what a denarius was. That was the denarii. Jesus, they, they bring Jesus a coin, and he asks them, as he already knows the answer to this question that he asked, he asks them, whose image is this? So they bring him a coin, and there's somebody's image on, us, on this, and he says, whose image, is, whose image on this, uh, whose image is this, and, who, what, and whose or what is this inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then Jesus said to them, And this is something powerful that we're going to unpack here quickly. He says that that we ought to give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And at that moment, as he said what he said, which was, wow, like mind-boggling, that he could answer that so quickly, so sophisticatedly, and so precisely, it says that they were amazed at him. Like, I don't think I've ever said anything and people are like, we're amazed, right? It's never happened to me. I don't, I, don't, I don't go home and say things, and my, my, my wife just goes, oh, my gosh, I am amazed at what you just said. It's never, ever happened, right? So put yourself in the shoes of all these people who are trying to trap Jesus. Never in a million years do they, are they expecting to walk away from trying to mess him up, trick him, to saying, oh, my gosh, we're, like, totally amazed at what you said. And here's what's crazy. They hand Jesus a coin And here Jesus is holding a coin that says literally on it, it says, Son of the Divine Augustus. 
son of the divine Augustus. He's holding a coin with someone's face on it who's claiming to be God. Right? Here's the literal son of God holding a coin of this guy, Caesar, who everyone's acknowledging that this guy's the king of all kings. Right? He's the king. But here's the true king holding the phony king's coin. And Jesus says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. And give God, give back to God what is God's. So here's what's happening here. Jesus is simultaneously both affirming and limiting government. Think about what he says there. He's both limiting and affirming government. I mean, he's, he's saying, hey, guys, um, you're walking on roads that Romans built, right? Right? You're, you, you, Romans built these roads. It's kind of hypocritical for you not to pay taxes on something they built. So very concisely, he both limits and affirms government's role. I want to unpack some things and break this down a little bit this morning. And I want to walk through a, an intense conversation today. Some of you guys today, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna feel threatened in some of this conversation. In fact, I'm going to be an equal opportunity threatener today. All right? Let's not say threats. I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender today. Everybody's going to be offended today. Everybody's going to be offended today. But I hope that in this conversation, as we unpack some areas of tension, that I hope that we will go to a place where God wants us to go, God wants us to see where we can walk away some clarity and some challenge today. So let me unpack this, let me break this down. First of all, I want you to see this in your notes today. You got some notes, jot these scriptures down. We didn't have room to put all this scripture in here today in your notes, but jot these things down, fill in some of these blanks, and walk away some potency today. First thing is this, um, government has a purpose. We, we understand in what Jesus is explaining here that government has a purpose. Uh, in Romans 13, Jesus says this, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. That's everyone. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except which, that which, is in, which God has established. <clears throat> so God has allowed and established governments. Right? I mean, some of you guys, you were so freaked out about elections. Right? Some of you guys, like, had the best and worst day finding out who the president was going to be. Am I right? Be honest. Some of you guys, man, this is like a crowd that's like eyes wide open. No one's nodding. No one nodded to that question. But some of you were freaked out, and some of you were, like, dancing for joy. And some of you were, like, in between, like, oh, my gosh, just what happened? Right? All right? So Jesus... He dives right into this conversation with all these listeners. He says that the authorities exist have been established by God. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. All right, so government's for your good. God established government for your good. Are they perfect? Y'all can answer that. Are governments perfect? No. But are they under God's authority for our authority? That's what God is saying here to us. He says, but if you, if you do wrong... Be afraid for the rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. Governments are there to guide and protect. All right, they are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to what? Submit. That's a generational gap, right? 
right? Respect, submit. I mean, that's kind of lost in our culture today, is it not? But Jesus speaks to everybody, not a party, not a camp, not this side or that side, not the, the winners or the losers. He speaks to everybody, right? Nation to nation, generation to generation, and he's giving his thoughts about what he thinks is best and right, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. That's how Paul describes what Jesus says in Romans. So, so government has a purpose. <clears throat> it does. Government has a purpose. That's, that's, that's our first initial point as we dive into this. Government has a purpose, but number two, government is not God. Right? Government is not God. And you guys are like, duh. Like, come on now. Can you give us something more enlightening to that? Yeah. How about oftentimes most of us, we act like government's God. I mean, how, we, we see people get so up in arms, like government is the end-all, be-all, am I right? That we're like scrapping and fighting and, you know, falling apart and having a meltdown and like, you know, rolling up in a, you know, ball and crying like, oh my God, the world's falling apart because somebody's elected, someone's not elected. Like someone's in power and some's not, someone's not in power. And we can get to such a like lost place based on what somebody's doing out there that we can totally give too much credibility to government. Government's not God. Let me, let me just tell you how this works in my role as pastor. <clears throat> um, we put way too much hope in government. We do. We, we, we so easily can get lost in this conversation and place all of our hope in government. Now, you would say, no, I don't. I would say, yeah, we do. For a lot of us, we wake up thinking about politics. We wake up turning on the first chance of the news, whichever. Oh, my gosh, what news channel do you watch? My daughter came home the other, the other day, and she said, Dad, I just figured out who watches which channel of news. She's in high school. I'm like, it took you that long to figure it out, right? I mean, if you watch this channel, you're this party. If you watch this channel, you're this party, right? I mean, it's like so much of a win-lose proposition and how politics are presented to us. But here Jesus talks and goes into this conversation and helps us grasp two big pictures. One, government has a purpose. Government is not God. But what we do oftentimes in our, in our lives is we put way too much hope in government. As a pastor, I do, I do a lot of weddings and a lot of funerals. When it comes to funerals, I have never, ever, 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 ever been asked in a funeral the most like sensitive time of someone's life as they're watching someone who's passed away. No one's ever said to me, Jeff, today, because it's so important, because we place so much hope in the government, would you read the Constitution of the United States of America to help us ease our pain? Nobody's ever said that. Nobody has ever said to me, Jeff, would you take time and would you read the Declaration of Independence? Would you, would you take some time and read over the Constitution of the United States? No one's ever done that. So what happens to us is we oftentimes put way too much hope in government. And you know what that's called? It's called idolatry. It's called idolatry. It's when we sort of lean into and place more hope in something that we should not put hope in. 
right? So what happens to us is we tend to judge God's sovereignty and plan by who gets elected, right? We tend to judge like, is God on the throne? He's on the throne if my guy gets elected, my girl gets elected. He's off the throne if they, those other people, they got their election hopes. He's off the throne. So what we do is we, we tend to judge God's sovereignty. Sovereignty is just a big, wonderful word for like God's in charge or he's not. We kind of assume God is in charge or he's not based on who gets elected. But we can't, we can't forget God's in charge. God's in charge of what happens in our world today. Uh, oftentimes, we overestimate government's role in God's plan. We do, but we do both. We kind of flip, we flip that around, and we get so lost in this conversation that we put sometimes too much stock in and then too, too little stock in what God's doing in the world today. So the way Jesus answers this question, right, to these guys who are trying to trap him, uh, is it's incredible, right? If you really think this through and you look at culture, what was going on then, Jesus just like, I mean, he just like busts this whole political conversation wide open with people who are like trying to trip him. And what we, what we see about this, the way he, he answers this question is ultimately Jesus rejects this win-lose nature of human political thinking. I mean, you think about it. All, we basically have two parties, Right? And we're always presented this is in a, a win. You got one group over here and you got one group over here. You got the winners and you got the losers, right? And that's how our, our American culture and most cultures present winners and losers. It's one or the other, right? It's, it's this group or that group. That's normally what you see out there. That's just kind of how it is, right? So Jesus rejects this win-loss idea, right? He just kind of says, no, it's not going to be like that, right? There's something greater than that there's something larger than that there's a there's a bigger clarity there's a bigger perspective of all this and what he essentially says is for people for us what this is usually about is for people politics is about power politics is about power right i mean and jesus essentially understands the human nature and says when men rule when men are in power what do they want they want power so what happens is Jesus understands this. And when he comes to this earth, he doesn't come showing up to take power. Do you know when Jesus showed up as God and people began to start kind of like figuring out like, uh, is this, these guy's doing some miracles. This guy's claiming to be like the real king. This is the guy that maybe is the guy that was prophesied about. Maybe this is the real guy that we read about. Uh, and, and is this the guy? Is this the guy? They're all asking, is this the guy? He's doing miracles. They're going, man, maybe this is the guy. And so as they start to think this is the guy, what do they want out of Jesus? They want him to reign, right? They wanted to like set up kingship on earth. So here's Jesus showing up and people are like, yeah, woo, let's jump on this bandwagon because this guy's going to be in charge. What do they want? They want power. They want somebody to be in charge and they want to jump on board with that guy who they think can elevate their status, right? Why do you think sometimes Jesus did miracles? And he said, hey, don't tell, anybody about, don't tell anybody about that one, right? He's trying, to, he's trying to confront our human tendency that like when he says in Scripture, money's the root of all evil. Where does money, where does money get most people? Power, right? 
Do you feel big or small based on your amount of money at times? Right? I mean, it's kind of human nature. Jesus recognized this. And so what he's doing here, he's saying, hey, people for people, politics is about power. Just, let's just take this in the most fundamental way. How many of you guys have kids? How many of you guys have more than one kid? All right? Do you remember when you had your first child and it was all about that first child? And then all of a sudden, mama goes away and she comes back and you're that first child. And all of a sudden, there's somebody else in your room, somebody else playing with your toys. What happens? There is a what struggle? A power struggle. You guys are tracking with me. Come on, we're doing good. All right. We see this. It's just human nature. Somebody wants to be in charge. But Jesus did something, and he just flips this coin over. And he says, it's not for us. Not for us. The goal should never be, we want to be power, right? He says there's something greater than that. And there's something always, there's something always that speaks to power, and is this. For Jesus, when he came, it was all about truth. It was all about truth. Jesus said in Scripture, he said, if you know the what? If you know the truth, it'll set you free. That's, that's biblical. Jesus said that. See, for us, what he's trying to accomplish here, he, see, he says, listen, in all this world of, yes, government, but limited government, but yes, government, he said there's something that's an overarching truth, and that is my truth. See, in our world today, you know what's lost? Truth. I mean, think about this. I mean, this is get, you, you could play this tape out. We could have lots of conversations about this. Just this idea of truth. I mean, with the idea of maybe the lack of truth out there in any camp, who's telling the truth, who's not telling the truth, what news channel is telling the truth, what news channel is telling the, the, the lie. I mean, who can you trust? I mean, we're all, we're all kind of sinful, right? We all have this desire that I want to be in charge. I want to align with whoever's better in my finite understanding, right? So what happens? Do you think the enemy could be using this in our society today to ruin the idea that there is a truth? See, Jesus said, listen, truth must always speak to power. Here's, here's how this plays out. When I, was, um, when I was younger and I, was, I still actually sinned um, before I stopped because I don't, I've, I've, I've not done wrong in years. I've never made a mistake in years. My wife's there, right? She's laughing. Um, I, I make a lot of mistakes, and I made, I've made some dumb ones before, but one of the dumbest ones was I was in high school, and there was a, a middle school girl, and this is so embarrassing to say, but we were in a gym, at our high school gym, and there was a, a fire alarm on the wall, and somehow I convinced someone to pull the fire alarm they pulled the fire alarm and this nice young girl who pulled the alarm was getting totally busted right totally busted the powers to be showed up the alarms going off right fire trucks did come on the scene dad mine she did show up on the scene as this young girl was just being like why'd you do it why'd you do it why'd you do it by the powers that be Truth spoke up. And for whatever reason, I was like, uh, I can't let this girl get taken away. The truth is, I did it. See, truth always has to speak to power. Right? Sometimes seemingly like we think we know the truth, but when you really know the truth, the truth sets people free. Am I right? I, 
she didn't, she really wasn't the root of that problem. I was. I had to stand up for what was right. Sometimes the truth means we do have to stand up for what is ultimately the truth. Sometimes we get lost in the truth, but if we know what Jesus came for and we submit to his truth, then the truth really sets us free. So here it is. We've got to be more committed to truth. And this is, where the, this is where the real rub is in our society and in our hearts. We must be more committed to truth than we are to power. There's a lot of struggle and tension when it comes to this subject. So for people and for politics, it's about power. For Jesus, it was about truth. We must be more committed to truth. Truth has to always speak to power. Hey, one of, one of our heroes, one of my heroes, Martin Luther King Jr., he spoke truth to power, right? He spoke truth to power and appealed to and appealed with God's law that all men are created what? Equal, right? We, we, had, we, had, a, a, we had a society that was trying to find power in something that was not the truth. Jesus said, hey, there is an overarching truth in this conversation. And Martin Luther King and the civil rights groups then, they were trying to push a truth. Our commitment is, as Americans, the first and foremost is that God's truth is God's truth. So Jesus speaks truth to power. Jesus is the apex of truth. All truth culminates in Jesus he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. John 18, 37 says this. You are, Jesus is saying of himself, he says, you are a king. He's speaking to Pilate. You are a king then, said Pilate, or Pilate speaking. You are a king then. He's speaking to Jesus, said Pilate. Pilate was in power then. Pilate was the king in power. Jesus answered, you say that I, I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born, he's giving clarity, and came into the world is to testify what? The truth. What did Jesus come for? He didn't come to set up camp to be the most powerful then. He came to, he came to dispel the lie and to bring the truth. He, he came to speak to humankind's hearts. He came to clear up the confusion. He came to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus was the truth. He is the truth. He wanted us to make truth always the highest priority. Can to proclaim the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So here's, here's, here's some, uh, some unique facts about what we see what Jesus says. We are to be prophetic before we are to be political. What does that mean? The Bible talks about prophetic. You've heard that word before. It's like, oh, it's kind of one of those weird words, right? The word prophetic literally just means truth teller. One of our roles as Christ followers is to be truth tellers. We're supposed to tell God's truths. We're supposed to inform power of what God's truths are, God, God's laws are. That is something that we need to be committed to. Not committed to winning, not committed to losing. Obviously, no one wants to be committed to losing. But our number one goal isn't to be committed to winning, right? Our goal is to be committed to telling the truth. So... Let me, let me just for a moment make you really uncomfortable, um, if I haven't already. Um, and let me unpack this, all right? Don't get up and leave as I say something two different ways, all right? But let me say this. It is very hard. 
It is extremely hard, extremely difficult for a Christ follower to say, I am a conservative Republican. It's really hard for a Christian to say. It's really hard for a serious Christ follower to say that I'm a conservative Republican. As it is, it is very difficult and hard for a Christ follower to say that I'm a liberal Democrat. Why? Because our political parties are both more committed to power than they are to truth. It's just our human nature. It is what it is, right? The Republican Party was started as an anti-slavery party committed to truth. That's how it was started. That's the Republican Party historically started as an anti-slavery party committed to truth. They said slavery is evil. We must get rid of it in America. So how did it switch? Why do more African Americans vote Democrat than Republican? Because the Republican Party of Lincoln became more committed to power than truth. Democratic Party was historically built on the concern for the vulnerable. I mean, that's, that's what it was founded on. More concern for the vulnerable, more concern about the disadvantage of society. Yet, the most vulnerable are the babies who are not yet born children in their mother's womb. How did that switch? From caring for the poor and the least of these to adopting a platform where we don't care. See, it is because it became more committed to the feminist movement, which was committed to power for women, right? And I love women. I'm for women, right? My wife is the greatest person in my life, right? But power, no pun intended, has trumped truth in both parties. Come on, somebody. Are you with me on that? Power has trumped truth in both parties. We, we live in a society where truth is no longer the most valuable thing, but Jesus came and he said, I came to testify the truth. Truth always trumps power. So here's, take a breath. Here's our commitment and challenge. Number one, in your notes, write these down. This is huge. Our commitment and challenge is this, number one, to pin our hopes on God's truth. We must, we must, we must pin our hopes to God's truths. Not my truths, not your truths, not me in a moment of I want to be in charge truth, not anybody else in a moment of what they think is right or wrong. We must pin our hopes to God's truth. Truth that has been revealed in scriptures. Truths that have been revealed through Jesus. Truths that are being revealed through the Holy Spirit of God that are based off of God's word. So I hear people all the time saying, man, God told me, and whatever God told me says this, and I'm saying this, and I'm like, uh, that's like totally contrary to God's word, right? All truth must be based on this book, God's word. Hey, am I, am I the guy that everybody can believe in this morning? No. I, I, I get to study God's word. We get to study God's word. Am I the source of truth? No. My job is just to tell you what I see. My job is just to point you to God's word. This word, God's word, is the only source of 
truth. It's infallible. I'm fallible, right? So our commitment to, and challenge this morning is to pin our hopes on God's truth, right? God is our hope, not who is presently in office, right? Not my guy, not your guy, not your girl, not whatever, right? Our hope is in God. Our hope is in Jesus and his word. Second thing, our commitment to challenge is to present the truth persuasively because we see it in Scripture and humbly. Now, here's, here's where, like, we, gosh, we could have so many personal conversations of how this actually plays out, right? Woo! Because right now, some of you guys are on social media, and you are wheeling it, and you are dealing it, right? And there are scraps, and there are fights, and there's conversations, and in the end, you have to ask, is it working? <laughs> right? We, we are supposed to model Jesus. Now, I give it to Jesus. Jesus is perfect. So he perfectly was grace and truth. He was perfectly both love and grace and truth. He did it perfectly. We're never going to get it perfect. But our goal ought to be that we ought to weigh this thing out and be both persuasive and humble. Now that's that's that could get complicated at times. I just know I've I've recently heard of a pastor that said you should never talk about politics on Facebook. Now I don't know if that's right or wrong. Didn't say it in the Bible. I don't know. You tell me. Is it working for you? I, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's a platform. But I know this: Jesus, when he wanted to influence somebody, what did he do? He went to their house right? He had dinner. He threw parties. He invited people in, and he went to where they were. He won people's hearts by what? Earning the right to be heard, right? So as he left the earth, he had a followership. Why? Because he loved them. He cared about them. Listen, nobody's going to care what you say until they know that you care, right? Nobody cares what you say until they know that you care, so if we're going to if we're going to be a movement, if we're going to be God's children, one, we must know the truth and we must humbly humbly and lovingly disseminate it. We must pin our hopes on God's truth too. We must present the truth persuasively yet humbly. Number number 3. And this is huge. We must realize that delays in the truth winning are not defeats. Right? Because I mean, what if you feel like you lost right now? What if you feel like you won right now? What if, what if you feel like I'm trying to be truth to somebody, but man, it just doesn't seem like it's working just yet. No, listen, don't get lost in this. It took Martin Luther Jr. a long time before truth got across, did it not? He even lost his life in the process. Jesus, I mean, he was here for like how many years? Anybody know that? How many years was Jesus on earth? Anybody? 33? I got some 30s. Good. 33. Jesus was 33 years old when he went to heaven. It took 33 years for him to pass off the truth. But when he died, it looked like the truth was defeated, right? Oh, my gosh. Truth has not prevailed. Jesus died. No. Truth lived. Truth rose from the dead. Truth lives today. Truth never dies. Because truth is enca- encapsulated 
in Jesus. Jesus said, I am the truth. Truth and Jesus are one of the same. Jesus rose from the dead, and we have him claiming the truth that someday, one day, I will be back for you again. There's a greater truth in all this. See, we, here's the fact. We're not even citizens of this world. <laughs> if you're a Christ follower, our citizenship is not even on this earth, ultimately. It's with God in heaven. Our truth, our hope, resides in Jesus. So we must realize that the delays of truth, oh, it's not working right now. I'm trying to be an influence. I'm trying to be a friend. I'm trying to pass on truth. I'm trying to pass on my beliefs of what Scripture says. It's not working right now. Jesus is still king. He still says that I'll be back one day for you. Do not quit on the truth because the truth doesn't quit on us. Fourth thing is this. We must embrace, and this is huge for us, it's huge for us to not get lost in, in, in what's going on in our political world today. The truth is, we must embrace that we have a bigger fish to fry. <laughs> we got bigger fish to fry. We have bigger fish to fry. We must embrace that God's instrument of change in our society and in our world today, we must embrace that God's instrument of change is not government or politics, but the church on mission. That's the instrument of change. God said, upon this rock I will build my what? My church. Jesus' words said that I'm going to change culture. I'm going to change the world. As Jesus was leaving this earth, he said some words. He gave the church, his people, one last, one lasting thought one lasting command. And this is what he said in Matthew 28, 18. He says, Then Jesus came to them and said, as he's ascending into heaven, everyone's like, oh my gosh, the dude's floating. Wah, 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 wah. He's floating away and he's saying this. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do not forget this, people. All authorities on earth and in heaven was in Jesus. He says, therefore, and here's his final thoughts to all of creation who would be listening. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We say that when we baptize people. I don't know why. Oh, there it is in Scripture, right? Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son. He's talking about the Trinity, right? He's talking about God in three persons. A little theology right there. Wow, God in three persons. That's hard to figure out, right? God understood it, right? But he's baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey what? Everything. Everything who said? Everything he said. Everything Jesus said. Obey everything I say as I have commanded you. And surely, surely, if you get lost, if you get hurt, if you get confused, and surely I am with you when? Always. I will never leave or forsake you, Jesus has said. I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's our mandate. That's our mandate. That's our higher calling. That's, that's us. We got, a bigger, we got a bigger fish to fry. See, to make America great again, to steal a little line that's out there, right? To make America great again, we must make the Great Commission great again. Church, we got to wake up. 
we were getting so lost in stuff that could take us so far away from the truth if we allow power and pride and money and untruth to guide us. If we're to be the church, we almost got to look at this like the president gets four years to do his job. What if the church had four years? What if we had four years left to do our job? And what if our job was exactly what Jesus said? And what if we just assumed that there were, let's just say there's 50 million Christians in the world today. I mean, like, let's just say that there's like 50 million, like, legitimate, active, Jesus is king, I follow that guy, my life submits to his ways, my life surrenders to his will. What if, what if, we, just, what if we just said the number is 50 million legitimate, active Christ followers in our United States of America today? And what if we said that in year one, our job and our mandate was to go make one more of those? Bring, bring and lead and guide and love and encourage and care for one other person in your life. And what if 50 million people went out and said, I'm going to make one disciple. And in one year, one more disciple was made. How many people would that make? 50 million plus 50 million more equals what? 100 million. You guys with me now? Are you still on pins? Come on, hop off those pins now. Let's get fired up, all right? What if in one year, 50 million doubled and there was 100 million followers of Jesus? Whoa, what would that be like in our society all of a sudden? What would that feel like? How often, what would happen if all of a sudden there was like an army, not trying to be like the most powerful, but like, hey, we're all for King Jesus, and we live like him, we followed him, we surrendered to his way. It wasn't about self-serving, but it was serving him, and we forgave each other, we loved each other, we encouraged each other, we stood up for truth, but we did that humbly, but yet we were still strong in that. But what if in year two, 100 million people went out and said, hey, I'm committed to the cause. It's all about God leading people to the church. Hey, politics doesn't make culture. Culture guides politics. We change the culture when 50 million goes to 100 million. But what if when that next year, year two, 100 million people went and made one more disciple? How many would that be? Come on, come on, help me out now. Say it loud. 200 million people. And what if year, year three to four, all of a sudden we went from 200 million and we doubled that number one more time, what would that be? Woo! Do you know that is more than what's in America right now? In just four years, the church, if we acted like we had four years like the president, we would change the world. So what's God's will? Is it to have a particular person in the White House or to have more people in his house? That's the question. I think we got bigger fish to fry. I think there's a higher level of thinking that God is calling us to. There's something greater. It's called, in the Bible, it's called unity. Right? I think we should lovingly respect and point people to Jesus, share the truth persuasively, but yet humbly. I hadn't got it all completely figured out, 
but I submit to the one who does. And I give him my heart, I give him my time, I give him my resources, because that's the only way that we change the world, is by submitting to our Savior, who says, I've come to testify the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we, um, <laughs> we just surrender to you today. God, we can't at all uh, live this life on our own and end up where we need to go apart from you. I can't. My wife can't. This church can't. Churches can't. People can't. America can't. The Democrats can't. The Republicans can't. The Green Party can't. The Bernies can't. God, Lord, we submit to you. You are large and in charge, God, and you are the Savior of the world. God, you solve life's biggest struggles and life's hardest and harshest heartaches. God, Jesus, you came into this world and you solved sin. You solved pain. You solved hurt and you solved death. And God, I thank you today that you loved us and you gave your life for us. God, thank you that you sacrificed your life to bring us the truth of you being God, of you being Lord, of you being our friend, of you being our Savior. So I pray that today something would be birthed in our hearts that would cause us to surrender our hearts and our lives to you not to anything else but you, Jesus. It's all for you. It's all because of you. In your name we pray. Amen. Invite our host host teams to come forward. We're going to close with an offering. Invite you guys to stand. Invite you to take this next moment and let this soak in. Sing this last song and let God guide you in what you should do about what he said to you today.